He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, ABC 10's Sean Cunningham. Sean, what's going on? Everything. Here we are in December. We're not far from Christmas. We're not far from my birthday. Uh, and we're also, I mean, I've got UFC going on. I've got high school football championships going on. But the Sacramento Kings are still what's going on. And uh, we got a big Jekyll and Hyde two days. <laughs> These past few days, the L.A. back-to-back, I like to say. So, yeah, it treated me pretty good. A uh, lot to unfold, unwrap, and unwrap like Christmas time, right? We're going to unwrap these gifts in, uh, in front of us. That's I think right. It'll be ther- I think it'll be not only therapeutic for us after these past few days of just mind-boggling uh, basketball chaos, but it'll be good for these fans, too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is – it's wild. What we're seeing is wild. So – it always reminds me, Jim Cosmore always says, never too high, never too low, never too right. high, never too low. And then I even asked Alvin Gentry, like, hey, you've been around the NBA for 35 years. Have you <laughs> ever taken over a team? And in the first six games, somehow you go three and three, but it, the ugliest three losses and three solid wins. He got a good chuckle out of it. Yeah, he did. He's like, no, I don't think I have. Like, I don't think I've been through anything like this, which is, that's saying something. This team yeah, it, has a way, right? And, and it's funny because, like, like I keep kind of, like, taking the big picture approach. Like, we keep talking about this team. And I like to go back to the whole, well, what did you expect going into the season? And I don't mean that to puff my chest and say, like, I'm this genius because I didn't, you know, we both didn't really have them doing all that well. Sean is genius. <laughs> the underlying tone. Sean Wait, what are we calling you? Uh Oh, Sean Stradamus. Sean Stradamus. Yes. <laughs> well, it depends on the night, right? <laughs> right. Well, but it's it, it's it's hilarious. Like, yeah, you don't like to see sometimes how the sausage is made, but like at the end of the day, like maybe at best this is just a 500 basketball team, slightly above, maybe slightly below, but like the extreme low to extreme high, like you know, one day you can go off and have a franchise record for threes, and the next one you can't hit a three at all. Up throw a rock in the ocean (laughs) can't can't hit water if you fall out of a boat right yeah yeah there's a few of those like you can't hit the broad side of a barn yeah there's a lot like we could keep going i mean this team has moments where they just can't miss and then it's more often that they miss all the time and then i think the problem sean is that it's not just like game in and game out. There have been like three games that they were just so good shooting that you knew there's no way they could lose. I mean, the only way they could lose is if their defense was last year's defense and it was so bad that uh, they were going to give up an equal amount, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't feel that this year. But there's there's too many games where you almost get like the, heckle and jai, uh, the Jekyll and Hyde in the middle of a game. You're like, oh, look, they can't shoot at all. And then, oh, wait, now they can shoot. They're on fire. And, oh, it went away again. So we have these crazy moments where this team just, it, it's almost like 
you know, we keep saying, Hey, you know, we need to see their identity. What is their identity? And their identity is that they're the most inconsistent team that we've ever seen and possibly the most disappointing inconsistent team that we've ever seen in Sacramento. And at least in my 12 years. And think about that. We covered a team, we covered a team that won what 17 games. But I didn't. I, I oh, came yeah, the well, year after. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I think I covered 22. Wins I mean, it was, year. it was Drek, but at least like that year, like there were no expectations. It was a, here we rise. Right. I think that was their uh, whole theme or something stupid like that. No. And it was, that was well, the next here we year. build. I don't know. No, here we rise. Okay. Here so, we suck. I mean, that's what that, it really was. Yeah, there it was. It was, that's the, the year that uh, Tyreek wins rookie of the year and Kevin Martin gets traded mid season mm-hmm. and, and the whole upheaval happens. But the here we rise is the next year when DeMarcus Cousins DeMarcus. joins the team. And they put and him on a building. They put it on that gigantic building downtown. So the backstory of here we, here we stay is a play off of here we rise. So when the, uh, it was the last preseason game, Gavin Maloof was in the, was in the media room, just sitting in the back row watching mm. the press conference and then he went to get up and a couple of us like stopped him and, and got an interview with him because it was right as the, the ridiculously lame convergence plan was falling apart. You remember the convergence plan? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Where they were going to move the, uh, the state fair and that, like, it was just the stupid. land swap deal. The land three, it, swap was the, deal. <laughs> it was the three, it was the three pieces of land swap deal. I mean, that's what we kept referring to it as. And, Here's a name for you, John Moog. Have you thought of John Moog's name in a while? No, I have yeah. not. Yeah, there's for, a for, you know, there's a lot of guys that you like. Yeah, oh, and yeah. for people who don't know, John Moog was like hired by the NBA to be like the consultant to make the the land swap deal work. And yeah, uh, it it yeah, Calixpo that thing didn't go well, and <laughs> here we are with a brand new building downtown, still five years old. But but it is funny. I mean, you think about that, like the 17 win team, there was no expectations, and I think rightly so but like if people had high expectations they've got to be absolutely you know mind-boggled i was going to use an awful term but they must be absolutely mind-boggled by what's going on and even me who didn't have high expectations this is a super disappointing start to the season let alone the fact that luke is gone like take that completely aside just look at the product on the floor because i think oftentimes it's easy for people to say oh they're not trying or the effort isn't there and I always cringe at that because like poor shooting doesn't equate to effort not being there, but it's undeniable that when the offense goes, the defense really goes the defense, the defense that they don't really have to begin with really wanes. And so um, I definitely see that. Like we've had several moments uh, in the season already that we can circle. And I don't think we can use two hands. I think it's all in one hand. And I told you, I think in the last podcast, I think we agreed that loss to Philly was still the worst loss of the young season. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't really count more than five games. And I don't even know if I'm at five, if I really sit back and analyze it, where I go, the level of compete is just not there. But if let's just say it's five and you're only what, 21 games, something like that in the season, 22, I don't even know. 22. I think, well, no, no, I think it's 23. They're nine and 14. They're nine and 14. So yeah. Even at 23, like having five of those games already is extremely alarming. So, uh, yeah, I think there might be some fans that disagree in that regard. But, yeah, I just I sometimes cringe at the whole, oh, they're not trying. Because I do think that this team 
for the most part competes, but I do all see. their all their things is all their all their flaws are so self inflicted that it's just man, <laughs> like like you can see these players wearing it like they they don't want to come out. Like honestly, I feel like you know we always joke like how hard is your job that that you treat the the easiest part of your job speaking to the media as the hardest part of your job. And it lasts for just a few minutes, but like these guys come in the, into, so you just go back to that Laker game and they come into the, the press room. And fortunately we didn't get the Rashawn Holmes that we got just about a week or so ago yeah. uh, after the Philly game, I believe it was, but uh, we got something close to that. I mean, he definitely played the, played the part and kudos to those guys for actually doing it. And some, some guys get called upon a lot to do it. Um, <laughs> and certain guys don't get, come to the podium at all lately. Um, and that's just the, that's yeah. the that's the part that's really tough about not being in the locker room because you can't really hold a guy's feet to the fire and say no you're going to talk to us you can't pin a guy like block the exit before he gets out or walk out with him so the access is a little bit is what it is and we're relying on a, a, a tremendous media team to help us out but um, I, I give them kudos because sometimes those press conferences uh, are just not easy coming off some of the games that they play yeah. Okay, so I'm going to touch on a couple of things there. Uh, number one, I, I think there's there's something like we don't get to go in the locker room anymore. Eventually, we hope that they're going to allow, allow us back in the locker room, but I don't know if it'll be this year. I don't know if it'll be next year. We've got the new variant that's, that's starting to boil up, and you know, there's already been a case, I think I read today, in California, but then they had the second case in like Minnesota. So we're seeing the variants come back uh, and so it might slow down what's happening but walking into an NBA locker room you feel the vibe you know like if you're intuitive at all you feel a vibe walking into a locker room and not getting that not having that ability to walk in and really get a feel for just the the temperature in the room I think it really does take away because it leads you to more pointed questions or, or easier questions. You can feel if guys are like, are, are upset or, or like uh, if there's a rift between people, you can see that you can see groups going off together and, and having quiet conversations or, you know, if there's music playing, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we sense uh, which is part of our job is we sense what's happening in the locker room. And then we chase it that way. You know, I think it like the feel of the locker room, it does lend you to like go down different storylines and chase different things that you wouldn't if you didn't have that vibe. And so I think that that's a big deal that we're missing out. And, um, and it'll play into like some more questions as to like why you're not seeing like major player profiles and stuff like that. There's just, it, it's so much shared information and, we've got to jump through hoops and go around things to get different information than what's happening on zoom calls, which, you know, now our zoom calls, our media sessions are literally being live streamed by multiple people. And so there's no way for us to have like our own individual storylines, unless we're, we're really crafty about pulling guys aside on the way out the door and stuff. So COVID has totally changed how we do our job. I'm hoping that it goes back. So we have more of a feel, more of an inside look, uh, but we just don't know when that will happen. Um, Sean, let's get to the the debacle that was the Lakers game, and I think mm. <laughs> I, I think we we thought Philly was was the worst, but I'm not sure the Philly's the worst. Really? 
Yeah, because that one still feels just awful to me. I mean, it really does. Yeah, I mean, they were missing five starters, and so I get that. But I was sitting next to our, our good friend Sam Amick during the uh, the meltdown, it, and even before the meltdown, when it got to fourteen, they were up fourteen in the third quarter. Sam said, "Well, this is like it's become a game, a must win, right? Like you, you got to win this one, right?" And I'm like, Sam, don't say something like that. You know, don't say that, Vincini. Don't say that. It's Sam's fault. I like to blame <laughs> Sam. We're, we're going to blame Sam. It is Sam. It's Sam's fault that the Kings lost to the Lakers. Um, <laughs> but the way that it unfolded and their inability, first of all, I, I'm going to, like, for one of the rare times, I thought that that was partially coaching, that which I don't look for a lot of coaching issues. But at the five-minute mark of the third quarter, uh, Gentry decided to pull Halliburton and Holmes. And I can see what he's doing. He's pairing these guys off and and sort of like he's – that's a team. That's a tandem. That's a two-man game that mm-hmm. he's going to come back to and try to really dominate at a section of the game where he's hitting the team again and again and again with the Halliburton-Holmes pick and roll so i get it but the game had already started to get like a weird vibe and then it starts to spin out of control completely and then fox is on like he's not part of the offensive sets which we can either blame on fox or we can look at the fact that the two guys are they were running like a two and three man game on the opposite side of the court so all of these things are happening at one time and then we get to the moment Sean, where it's already spinning out. You're already, you've blown a 14 point lead and it's now a seven point Laker lead. And Buddy Hield pulls up from 27 feet. My goodness, Sean, if I thought your head was going to explode, if I'm coaching that team, if I'm coaching that team, that guy, I call a timeout. I ask somebody to pick up a foul so I can call a timeout. And he doesn't play again that game, and he might not play the next game. Mm. That was the That's worst. That's serious to where he may not play the next game. Okay. The worst shot I've ever seen covering the Sacramento Kings. A 27-footer wow. while your team is unraveling, and you've gone from a 14-point lead to a 7-point deficit. All you need is a, a bucket. You get a bucket, and you've calmed things down. It's a 5-point game. He hurls up a 27-footer with 20 seconds on the shot clock. And to me, that that is where, as a coach, you have got to hold a player accountable. There is no way around it. And I get that they have a relationship. I get the whole live by the buddy, die by the buddy. Buddy was horrible in that game up until that point. And then you go back to the two plays before that. He fouled Westbrook when he reached in on an 18-foot jumper. And he, I, I believe, oh, he threw a jump pass that the Lakers tipped up in the air and he stood there and watched while Anthony Davis beat him down the court for a layup. That was a two plays before the three-pointer. You left him in the game. You let the entire game unwind. And even after that moment, again and again and again, mistakes all the way to the end of the third. And then to open the fourth, he played nine and a half minutes to open the fourth while you got your your teeth kicked in. And so we're going to talk about Buddy more, but just in that segment of the game, that's where 
like that game slipped out of control and buddy becomes like the centerpiece of it. But it was a, there were a lot of other things going on. Right. Well, I mean, there were, yeah. I mean, you had an 18 point lead in the first half and it just evaporates so quickly at what was a 40 to eight run at some point. And I mean, look, not to rehash everything, but like, I, I feel like we're at a point, and I think it, this comes through in the last few episodes of this podcast, that I'm not so much concerned with the defensive side of the ball right now because they look so inept on the offense side. And, like, offense to me is where this bread, where this team has to be. They have to be good offensively. Like, they need to be better defensively, but if you lose what you had offensively, like, you're just – you're going to be – you're going to be really terrible. Well, uh, and, they, and if every single time you miss a shot, it gives the uh, the opposing team an opportunity to get in transition. So yeah. you don't get your, you don't get to set your defense, which is what Alvin, like his explanation, but still, I, I think it's deeper than that, Sean. I think when this team isn't hitting their shots, they get a, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And then they stop playing defense. Yeah, they sulk. I mean, it just goes yeah. into this like malaise and it's not good. But, you know, the thing that stood out to me in that game was yes, you you're getting your head kicked in and in that second half. But then you look at the like I I, re- I recognize this in the moment because both players played over 30 minutes that night. And you mentioned Buddy, he's one of them. Fox is the other one. Like Buddy took seven shots. Fox took nine. Like, Albert what the hell? took ten. Like what yeah. the hell? You you guys, someone's got to shoot the ball. Like what is what is the problem here? Like you can't have games like that, especially when you have your most talented scorers on your team do that. So like buddy pulling up the way he did, you even heard me. I was like, what the hell? Like I'm literally in my seat. Going, what, what was that? I Sean does not you. remain stoic. No, I know. I, I was like, I'm literally watching this. Like, what are you doing? And again, like I, I have a hard time faulting him because they give him such a green light. And it's like, oh, we're going to try anything. Like, we we just need Buddy to hit a three, and maybe it'll get going. And it's like, like I get it. Look, Buddy's this yeah. sharpshooter. He is an elite shooter. Like, I, he is. And I think sometimes people will hear me say that, and they'll go, like, because, yes, he is an elite shooter. Yes, he is in a Steph category when it comes to shooting. He isn't Steph, but it's the other – like, I'm not saying he's Steph. Like, Steph is also a tremendous – playmaker Steph is a tremendous ball handler he's elite in both of those categories he's almost an elite defender I mean look at what Draymond was talking about the other day when he's saying like you know you guys don't show enough of Steph's defensive highlights what he does for us defensively yeah it's like yeah no Steph's an incredible player Buddy can touch him a little bit in the one category when it comes to shooting I'm not saying he's Steph I'm not saying he's Steph at all but he's the close he's he's Okay, put, putting that aside. Sean they said give, that Buddy Hill is Steph Curry. Buddy I heard him. Yeah, there it is. He's I better than it. Steph Curry, right? That's he's, he's yeah, he, and clearly. that's what Shivano's here. And Shivano's like, I'm Steph. I'm Steph. I, you know, I, I'm Kobe. I'm this because I love Kobe. Uh, look, he looks at it. He has such a green light. You need him to shoot. That shot is not it. Like we know, Buddy is a mistake-prone player. That's just kind of the player he is. He cannot be your second best player. He can't be your first best. He can't even be your third best player. If for a good team, but they need him to be some type of player. The thing I don't understand, James, is, and I even gave him credit in the last podcast where, you know, if he's struggling three, keep shooting, buddy, keep shooting. Luke said the same thing. They all say the same thing. Keep shooting, buddy. We're going to bet on it, right? 
but he even took it upon himself to get in the paint. He was taking it upon himself to try to get in, to try to do something from mid range in the paint layups, attack the hoop a little bit, which he's not good at by the way, but recognizing I got to do more. Right. And he competes so hard. Okay. Put buddy aside. Where does the audacity of this team come where it's like, we're just going to keep chucking threes. Like you're not a good three point shooting team. And, and fortunately we saw, if we fast forward 24 hours, we saw Terrence Davis get loose against the Clippers. And that was great. Great for him because he could not speaking of hitting a broad side of a barn or falling out of a boat and hitting water. This guy could not find his shot. He found it in the Clipper game. You hope that translates and rolls over uh, to Saturday, but like, they just continue to launch these awful shots. Ill-advised. The shot selection is so poor. That one stood out like a sore thumb. That was the poster child for it for that game. But you need this team to sh- You need your best players, Fox, Halliburton, Buddy. You guys have to shoot. And if the shots aren't falling, like, you just got to find ways to, to create some better offense. Yeah. And look, I know one of 82, you can chalk it up. But it's not one of 82. It's like five of 23 now. And it's becoming a problem. And the offense, which I think was, you know, you even text messaged me about it and talking about what Alvin Gentry said in the pregame of that Clipper game about the offense, um, is primarily still his offense. I don't think it's the whole book of Alvin Gentry when it comes to the offensive things that he can do with the Kings, but you've got to find answers to me. And your level of compete, I know everyone wants to talk about defense and and getting things going defensively is going to help the offense, but you, they have to find better shot selection than what they're getting, even in wins. Like, I'm not just criticizing the Laker game. I mean, there's been wins where I'm looking at their offense going, what the hell's going on? And by the way, it was going to be really hard for someone to stand out as the suckiest player on the court in that Laker game than Russell Westbrook was in that first quarter. But to Russ's credit, he was fantastic after that first quarter. He had four turnovers and terrible shot selection. And then all of a sudden he found a way to, to bring his team back and, and make the Lakers look entirely like the, the, the dominating team in that game. And uh, he made me eat some crow. Cause that first quarter I was looking around going, what the hell is Russell Westbrook doing? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, Russ is a great player. And while he, I, you know, I've always considered him more of a, a stat hunter than anything else. Uh, and probably the greatest stat hunter the game has ever seen. I mean, the guy mm. averaged a triple double for a season, like three times now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just his ability to, you know, go get rebounds and do all these. And that was the other thing, like coming into the game, Alvin Gentry said, Hey, look, one of the keys is we have to keep Russell Westbrook off the offensive glass and forever. He had nothing. He had no rebounds at all. And I was like, and I was looking at him like, that's interesting. But then when the physicality turned up and, the Lakers came out and punched the Kings in the face. The Kings did what they always do. They went and, and you know, sat down on the bench and cried. I yeah, mean, that's, that's, yeah, they wilted. I mean, they just fell apart. And it's unfortunate that that's who that this team, that's their identity at this point. They're a, a fragile team. They're a team that, that cannot uh, deliver a blow and who can't take a, can't take a shot. And so when you get into a bare knuckle brawl with a veteran team that literally like they had a hall of famer out, but they're running three other hall of famers out there um, against you. And maybe even a fourth in Dwight Howard, like Dwight Howard is still considered, you know, for an era, the best center in the game for like a five-year period. 
So you're looking at a team that just has one veteran after another, after another, and they can deliver a blow and the Kings, the Kings can't take it. They can't take a shot. So I, and they had you know, some payback on their mind too. I mean, let's be honest that oh, yeah, overtime game, just what, four or five days prior, very much in the, in the minds of a lot of people coming into this game. Yeah. But I mean, between the two games, the Kings between the Memphis game um, that we covered on the last podcast and the, the Lakers game, the Kings lost by like a combined 50 something points. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's just not okay. in two games. And then, so bad? let's just transition. And then Sean, you come out and, and for some reason, the Clippers thought, Oh, we'll just bench Paul George because you know, we'll, we'll make sure we're saving his minutes, but like they just thought that they were going to roll over the Kings and that team is not very good. And we saw that they have some veterans that can punch you, but overall that team is just not very good at all. The mm-hmm. Clippers and you take away the guy who's averaging 25 points a game. They got nothing. It's Reggie Jackson averaging 17 and then no one else. In, in and Nard dog. come on, don't forget Nard dog now. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Kennard. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I actually kind of cringed for a moment because like, I like Luke a lot. I think Luke is a solid, solid player. He's not any team's best player. Yep. I mean, the Kings would be lucky to have him right now. Um, but with Alvin Gentry's press conference, like they opened up like, oh, how are you going to stop Luke Kennard? And I'm just thinking to myself, what the hell? Like, like who? Oh, that's, and then I went, oh yeah, Luke, Paul George is out, Kawhi's out. <laughs> like, okay. Instantly he becomes their most potent offensive threat. You still so, should be asking, okay. huh? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's still probably worth a, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> it's, it's the Kobe Bryant when uh, years ago, my first year covering the team, Rob Small had, he got a question in on Kobe and he said, uh, Kobe there in the third quarter, Luther head did a nice job of sort of slowing you down. And he just stopped and goes, wait, Luther head. <laughs> like, like really Chris Weber had a moment too, in the playoffs where he's, he was asked about Greg Ostertag when he, before he became a King, it was, it was when Greg Ostertag was with the jazz and someone brought up that he says, I mean, with all due respect, we're talking about Greg Ostertag. <laughs> <laughs> with all the, he, he did it with, with all, all due, due respect. respect. <laughs> so look, I, here's the, the long and the short of it, Sean. You lose to the Lakers one night. You came, you come back and beat the Clippers and we're right back to 500 in the Alvin Gentry era. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that in that Clippers game, we saw a lot of the good Kings and we also saw them crumble in the fourth quarter, which some people wanted me to write on how they fell apart in the fourth quarter. I think the only thing to me that was bad about the fourth quarter, the one thing that stands out is because the Kings couldn't pull their head out of their behinds. Uh, number one, Halliburton had to play 40 minutes. You know, uh, Fox had to, who did a really nice job closing. Even if you didn't like his demeanor, he did a very nice job closing that game out, hitting his free throws. But my one disappointment was all of these people in Portugal stayed up all night long because Namias Keita was active. He was sitting on the bench. And if the Kings wouldn't have blown the lead in the fourth quarter and let it get down to eight points, Kato would have got in the game. All these it's eight hours ahead and it's a Lakers game that starts at seven 30. So it's like, it must've been like five 36 o'clock in the morning. And these people are waiting all night long. So Portugal people, I feel really bad that your guy did not get in the game. Um, but I, I will keep updating you when there's potential <laughs> for him 
to play because I can't wait for it. Like they I are and, passionate for Nimi, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and I ran into uh one of the assistants and from the Stockton Kings, and they're like, Man, he's gonna be a beast. Like, really, he's like, Yeah, I, I think you can run an offense through him. Like, people, he's an exceptional passer. Not only is he tremendously huge, but he's an exceptional passer, his soft hands around the rim, really soft hands in general, good rebounder, you know, second in the nation in, in block shots. His body's getting in better shape. I'm not saying that this guy's going to be the next, you know, Joel Embiid, but I think there is a possibility that he is an actual player, which is exciting. So I'm pulling for these people in Portugal who are waiting for their, their guy to be the first Portuguese player in the history of the NBA. and you know, and then we get this game where the Kings literally blow it. I think they were up by 24 in the third and then let it get all the way down to eight and just like, Oh man, come on. We got people staying up all night. (laughs) You ruined it for Portugal. You Uh, did. I wanted to, I'm a little, there's one thing I want to go back to that you mentioned here in a second, but before I do, I was a little surprised after the game and look, I shouldn't be because a win is a win. And as Alvin Gentry pointed out, especially on the road, like, and you can bounce back after the game you had against a Laker team where arguably it was your, I don't think it was your worst performance, but arguably it's your worst performance of the season. It's right up there. And you can respond the right way the next night. And for some reason they do that. They do that on the road. They find some success on the road. I don't know what it is about home cooking that they just haven't been able to find. And Alvin has brought that to people's attention. Like, Hey, you guys need to, they're three and eight more yeah, three and eight and at it, home and, and six like, and six on the road. And it's not an anomaly like this. The, we've seen this for the past few years with this, with this club where they just tend to be <clears throat> a more competitive brand of basketball on the, on the road for some reason. Yeah. It's weird. Um, and I don't blame the atmosphere. I don't blame, you know, lack of a home court vibe or whatever, but um, what I was alluding to though, was I was a little bit surprised there wasn't more of a sense of, we oh, that was close. Like we almost did it again. Yeah. You didn't because I mean, you built up such a nice lead and yeah, you saw it trickle away and look, it was a 14 point advantage in the fourth for the Clippers. So at the end of the day, Clippers just went on a run. I think they were expecting the run to come. Um, and I, you know, for the most part, you know, people may disagree, but I think for the most part, I think they held their mud pretty good. You know, it, it, I think, you know, Fox ended up having, and this is where I was going to go back to, Fox ended up closing out pretty well. I thought he had a couple buckets late. I wanted to go back to a thing you said. I wanted you to kind of explain it a little bit. What did you mean by uh, you might argue with Fox's demeanor or might disagree? Like, what did you mean there with uh, Fox and his demeanor? Okay, so so Fox, we're seeing this transformation that I think a lot of people, like I've, I've even seen it on Twitter. People are like, oh, I don't think Fox wants to be here anymore. I don't think he wants to be a king anymore. And um, so I think that there's a lot of people who look at Fox's demeanor and they're reading so much into it. And I would agree. Yeah. I- I'm going to say this. I live in a house with two total introverts. Like my, my wife and my oldest son are both introverts. They're different types of introverts, but they're introverts. And while Fox is a fun loving, like when you're in his bubble, he's good. If you're not in his bubble, then he's quiet and a little standoffish. But 
he's a guy who isn't he he doesn't he's not an anxious introvert he's a guy who literally just he prefers to be like on his own or or like with his people and and he's quiet and i think there's so many people that want him to be something that he cannot be and and people will go hey well you know i want him to step up i want him to be this leader and all this stuff well the fact is that that's not his personality and for him to do that it it's almost like asking Davion Mitchell to be like a, a 12 rebound a game guy. It's just not possible. And you want to think that it's, you know, we're talking physical limitations versus like mental limitations, but those things are real. And I, I think that people don't understand that, that part of Fox at all. And maybe they'll never understand it. They want him to be something that's just really difficult for him to be. And they also want him like cousins to not show like anger and anguish when he's frustrated, when, mm-hmm. when he's frustrated, we see it and we feel it and we hear it, but you can see it on the bench and, you know, we'll get into this discussion because we actually have like two guys who handled the, the Lakers loss so differently and people are roasting DeMarc I mean, or uh, De'Aaron Fox on the bench for having a look of, of disdain of frustration of, and they're like, Oh, he's, he's checked out. No, he's pissed. Like, that's what I'm looking at. And then we have the other guy who takes the worst shots I've ever seen and then goes out in post game and gets caught by the cameras after they just got their butts kicked laughing and joking around with Anthony Davis after the game. And so you have like this dynamic of one guy, if, that's who he is. And another guy of that's who he is that I think, but again, I would, it's not exclusive to Fox. Like I think people read too much into body language as it is. And James, I'm going to probably be in the minority here, but I'm going to bring it around to a point here. What you just said about Fox is likely true. Like I, I don't know that I would agree that he's completely introvert, but I think it just becomes introvert when things aren't going well, because he doesn't know how to quite, like he it's it's a it's a shutdown mechanism right like he's gonna he's not gonna wear it right he's not gonna necessarily say the right things it's at the end of the day it's basketball it's his job and he's paid handsomely for it and i think people will oftentimes go and point to the contract but at the end of the day like i think he you know he's he's told on himself before it's i go home and i don't really think about it (laughs) like like i think i think he could be lying to a certain degree like i think it affects him but everyone handles it differently right and to your point about buddy like look we live in an, in an interesting time right now. And people need to understand the fact that the only time that these two teams can interact with each other is on the, is on the court. And Buddy Heald coming over to see Anthony Davis, who he knows very well, and smiling with him after a game that they, they just got absolutely dismantled in, I have absolutely zero problem with that. He can't go over behind the scenes to the locker room and interact with those guys. It's the only time that they're seeing it. And let's not act like it was just Buddy Heald. Tristan Thompson was right there too. He was. I don't hear anyone coming after him. Yeah. To see them joke, like this happens all over the place. DeMarcus Cousins grabbing Isaiah Thomas off the floor from, to prevent him from shaking people's hands. Chris Paul, I'm looking at you in that game several years ago. While albeit amusing, not everyone thinks like that. Not everyone is that way. And once the game is done, I'm sorry. Like 
Yeah, it would. If I was now, I will preface this and say, if I was a teammate, I'd probably say something. I probably would have said something to Buddy, but I would not expect Buddy to be anybody that but Buddy. And excuse me, I had to clear, try to clear my throat here. <clears throat> Sorry, I hope I, I oh I didn't even mute. So y'all heard me clear my throat. Sorry about that. But to the <laughs> point of, to the point of just the jovial man. These guys all love each other. Do we all want them to be like Ron Artest, who I famously asked, like, Ron, <laughs> even after games, you're not even, you don't even, who are you cool with? I know you're cool with, you grew up with Lamar Odom. I know there's guys you like and you grew up with. He doesn't, he wouldn't even go over and shake any guy's hands after the game. He wants to get off the floor. Everybody's so different. I have zero problem with Buddy Heald going over and sharing a, a lighthearted moment with Anthony Davis. And you know what? We're all laughing the same thing. We're like, Jesus, you guys just got your ass kicked. Like, what do you get? What, what can you do? You, you laugh, you, you flush it, you move on. Like it sucks. And I know people want to see more. Like you want to see someone throw a chair and like, not everybody's built that way. It, it, you know, it's it just, it sucks. I know y'all don't like to hear it, but you can't attack a guy. If you want to attack a guy for yucking it up with a, with a teammate that he can't see in person. Fine. That's you. That's you. I, I just won't go there. Like, it's just not, it's not something to me that bothered me all that much. It's not like he's out there saying, you know, it's a you don't know what was said. It's a lighthearted moment. He's saying hello. It would be the same thing when I see, you know, Mark Medina or or Dan Wakey or um, Bill Orem, who I hadn't been able to see in a long time. You know, and I get we're not competing against each other on a basketball court, but we're all doing the same job. I haven't seen these guys in person in a while, and it's it's just it's it's literally the same thing. You know, these guys who cover the Lakers, we cover the Kings. They come in. It's the same thing. It's it's a funny perspective. Um, I didn't like Buddy's. I didn't like the appearance of it, to be honest with you. Like, I think he, he's got to do a better job of just understanding where he is and, and the way that that looks, especially after the way he played. Um, but then I also think that there needs to be a moment like when De'Aaron Fox is walking down the hall to come into the, the press conference room where he stands outside the door and he, he counts to 10 or whatever it is. He clears his head. And he says, okay, take a breath, be normal, like come well, back how do you to know center. That, how, do you, how do you know that doesn't happen? Well, because I, I watch him come in and like one night he's angry and bitter and, and another night he he's talkative. He'll talk, you know, like De'Aaron Fox isn't a bad interview. No, I would just like to see Fox uh, because I, I think the appearance of what he's doing does more damage to him than actually what he's actually doing. Like, I don't think De'Aaron Fox has given up. And, and no, I still think he's no. a, a very, very good player. And I have no interest in moving on from Fox as, uh, as a player if I'm the Kings. Like, he's, he should be your point guard for the next five years because he's under contract and he's really good. And well, his, and, and I'm just, I would just hold you. I would, what I'm saying to you is like, you're telling people, like, hey, this might be just who he is and not to rush to judgment based on I agree. Yeah. Like, that's another thing. Like, Look at, okay, you just said Deer and Fox, right? And sometimes he can be, you know, whatever. But think about him when he's good. Even when he's good, he's a sarcastic prick. And I love the guy because of it. Like, he, yeah. he's a very, he has a very dry sense of humor. So even when it's not going good, like, he can be dismissive when it is. He can be dismissive when it's going good and be dismissive when it's not. Um, not the most talkative when it's not. We've seen that. Yeah. Look, at I just talked about Rashawn Holmes and the contrasting style we had of Rashawn Holmes after the Philly game to where we – heard from him after the Laker game. I mean, he's pissed rightly so in both situations. I want yeah, to bring Sean he, Holmes. He learned from the first one. 
he learned from the first one. I, I think Rashawn Holmes, when he got done with that, he thought to himself, okay, I can't do that again. That, that didn't look good. It didn't feel good to me and it didn't look good. And I, I can't, that can't be who I'm perceived as. Maybe. And, and, and look, the other thing is I will look at, I'll bring the body language of Rashawn Holmes into this. Rashawn Holmes from an appealing eye standpoint is almost exactly what fans love. They love the, the fire, the yelling, but at the end of the day, what does it really do? Right? Like everybody's so different, you know, like think of, um, think guy I hold in high regard, Tony Allen, one of the most brilliant competitors you've ever seen in the NBA. Yeah. Played hard, played hard. Wasn't really a screamer. He was a jokester. This guy was, (laughs) this guy was, the most crazy competitor and he's laughing the entire time he's on the bench and he's talking crap to the, to the crowd. He's looking over at crowds, it, it, people sitting baseline and saying, looking, talking just the most crazy stuff about the opposition. He says, you know what you guys need on this team? Me, <laughs> you know, just literally joking with guys and then go out there and shut down your best player. Like, yeah, you know, everyone is just so different. And I think sometimes what catches the eye tends to be, the over the top boisterous, like, Oh, I'm going to scream and I'm going to have this passion. I'm going to do all that. It's like, it doesn't mean that anything else comes from that. Like we can call Rashawn Holmes, the heart and soul of the team. Right. Yep. But is he a leader? It, it, isn't that interesting? No one ever asked why he's not one of the leaders. He's not a leader. He's not, he's not that guy. Yeah. Right. DeMarcus cousins can have what people will perceive as bad body language. Now I'm not saying DeMarcus is a leader, but to your point about, there will be teammates who will see what Buddy Heald did yucking it up with a, with a friend after a game that they just got demolished in and perceive it to be a bad look. I have more of, I, I respect more of the teammates saying, I don't like this look. I still wouldn't have maybe pre- prevented that from happening. He can go and drag Isaiah Thomas on the floor to match his intensity. I don't know if either one is a leader, but like, I don't think either one is necessarily wrong. Like, I just don't have a problem with, especially after the year we've just had with, with COVID and everything else. Like at the end of the game, this is a game, this is a job. The, the clock, the clock ticked off, Buddy had an awful game. I mean, I don't know what you want him to do. I really don't. And, and, and I, look, I, I just think like Davion Mitchell, yeah, he probably wouldn't be that guy, but Davion Mitchell still walks over to every team's best player, be it Chris Paul, LeBron James, just like almost like Tyreek Evans did in his first year going over to Kobe Bryant, every Gilbert arenas, every single best player he would go up against and have a message that 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 vet would give him a message about something going on in the game, whatever Alvin Gentry goes over and hugs the every, every head coach after every single game. Like it's just, everything is different, you know, and, and I just, I just, I, I know it's a, just a long winded way and a rambling way of just saying that people are different and not to read so much into it. Like, Fans pay their money. They come to games. They can be pissed off at what they want. I'm not just saying, but when you start getting into the whole psyche of like, no, you should be crying because you lost or you should be pissed off or throw a chair. Like it just doesn't work like that. It's just, it's not yeah. that way. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, this is like, it's a really, really good discussion because you're, you have to look at other people through different lenses and we all want something so specific from somebody. And, and then when they don't give it, then you get frustrated and you get angry or you, you get disappointed. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I I keep telling myself like, look, Fox is 23. Like he, he's going to turn 24 any day, but he's, he's a, same day I turn 
what I turn. Uh oh, Sean's not telling us. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm going no. into 41. How about that? 41. Yeah, December I think 20th. on the uh, the happy hour tonight, I may divulge how old I am because I know people freaked out on D'Lo and Casey when, when I started talking out. about my 18 year old. They're like, yeah. wait a sec. Yeah. So, so well, we'll talk about that on, on the, uh, the happy hour. I tell on myself every time when they go, how long have you been doing the Kings now? I go, Oh, you know, about 20 years, it's 20 years for the Western conference finals. And it's just like, Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> why do you still act like a high schooler? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, but like, again, the, the discussion is, is, is interesting. You need to look around the, the people that are around you in your daily life and and you can't expect the same exact reaction from every single person, every single time, everyone, like we're all like what Sean is saying, we're all so different, but you need to like take a step back sometimes and go, okay, look, like just because, you know, you got some guy that you work with that isn't a leader. It doesn't mean he's not the best worker that you have, you know, it just because a guy that you work with is, is a jokester. It doesn't mean he can't be a great salesman. Like you, so we get so focused on watching the players and how they're reacting and their body language and all that stuff. And, you know, again, I, like I, I live in a household with a, a lot of different personalities. My little guy is just like me, just like can walk into a room and talk to anybody and two other people in my house can't do that. And so I look at them and like the way that they handle each situation and you just have to take a step back and you can't get upset by somebody who can't accept, who can't treat the situations that you, the way that you would want them to be treated. And like, again, have I been harsh on buddy? Yeah, I'm harsh on buddy. But a lot of it is because I don't want to hear somebody say, I tricked, we tricked that game off. Well, you're, like because, you're harsh on, you're harsh on buddy when it comes to what happens on the basketball floor. Yeah. Like I think yeah. we would have both had a problem if they're at the free throw line and Anthony Davis told a joke and, and buddy's sitting there yucking it up with time on the clock. Like we yeah. both probably would yeah. have criticized the hell out of that. You know, I also think back to like, you know, I think people watch a lot of movies and I love to bring up Moneyball because like, there's that scene in Moneyball where Brad Pitt goes, what are you having fun for? Like this is, you lost, like what, this is what, a, and he turns the music off. He says, is losing fun. And what are you having fun for? And then he throws the chair or the bat. And then he just goes, that's what losing sounds like. That's what a losing locker room should sound like. Yeah. Like, that's all great, but that's Hollywood, right? Like there, there are certainly moments like that that exist that, that can happen throughout a season and stuff like that. But I feel like sometimes it gets a little bit glorified too much. Like, for example, how many times are we sitting in a press conference? And this isn't just exclusive to Sacramento media. I mean, this happens. I end up having to, we both have, we end up having to cover a, a lot of different sports. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, in football and basketball or timeout or somebody wants to ask about, well, what did you say at halftime? As if like there's a win one for the Gipper type of speech every single halftime. Um, That changes everything. That Yeah. Oftentimes guys go in there. Here's points of emphasis. Here's what we want to change up. Here's what we're seeing. Go to the bathroom. Go, yeah drink water yeah like right <laughs> hydrate get a t- maybe like whatever i know I, I used to know there was a player i won't name him because i know he'd be very sensitive about it but like when it came to halftime he'd take a shower oh that's weird yeah quick cool off shower out and Interesting. i won't divulge but just he wasn't a king's player by the way like it was just quick shower done and it was like a 
minute 32 minute thing. To that point, though, it's like there, sometimes there aren't things said at all. Like your assistants kind of might go meet with the guy individually, whatever. Oftentimes it's it can be quiet. Some oftentimes there aren't a lot of things that are said at all. But this whole perception of oh, what was said at halftime, like oh, what, you guys came out different. Hoosiers. What happened at halftime? Right? Yeah, it's like no one's Gene Hackman's not sitting there doing the slow clap with anybody. Like no, they're just <laughs> this, this is just is what it is, man. Like there's this like Hoosiers ruined know, everything. A, they ruined <laughs> it. Ruined everything. It did. It did. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's skip forward. Um, following that game, uh, following the Lakers game, players had a conversation with each other. Uh, the next morning, the players had another conversation with each other um, in L.A. during their film session. This is something we know that happened. Um, I can't. I think it was. Uh, it was. It wasn't a players only meeting, but it would. No. It might as well have been. Yeah, it might as well have been. I there think was there, some, there, there was, was some straight talk coming to Jesus moments like, hey, we, we can't th- if this is who we are, then, you know, you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. Like, I, I think that there was some harsh moments and we saw before you go there, though. Yeah. And I brought this up after the Lakers came to Alvin. What if it is who they are? Like, how do you, how do you know? <laughs> Seriously, like I didn't want I to be a smart ass. You said this. I, I, lo- I Yeah. Like, it's Dennis if, Green. They are who we who we thought they are. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's the plan if it is like? Okay, look, you're not Monty McNair, Alvin. I get it, and you said that you're going to play the guys. That, but but what? That's why I, it, I my ears perked up. So are you going to bench Fox? Are you going to bench Buddy? And we kind of saw a little bit of that with Buddy. With Buddy, yeah, I played 22 minutes next night and was not a focal point of the offense at right. all. Two of seven from the field uh, mm-hmm. was was not uh, hand, handed the ball and allowed to to go nuts. Right. So to that point, but it's like, okay, if you are this way, then what, like, what's the plan? If this is who you are, blow it up. Well, that's a whole nother discussion. If this is a play, Hey, if that's who they are, then the last 45 games of the season or last 40 games of the season, we're going to watch Jemias Ramsey, Robert Woodard, Namias Keda, Damian Jones, Luke King, Chemezi Metu, Davion Mitchell, we're going to watch those guys go get you a, a really good first round pick. And, and Sean, I'll even say this, it, this isn't even where we were going with this discussion, but it, it's, mm-hmm. it's on my board of things. I think the way that this season has played out so far, it's changed every approach behind the scenes. You, you can't trade your first round pick now. Well, you, Sean, you can't, or, you can't trade or, it. Or can you? <laughs> like to the you point of that, Sean, like I get it. Can't. I get it. I don't think it can be a hard reset. I don't. However, I do feel that you reassess as you go, and I do feel that look, December fifteenth a lot opens up a lot of possibilities as we've talked about. Obviously, yeah. Um, and for people who haven't heard, I mean, that's the the date that where people who sign deals this past summer can become movable. Yeah, and, and for the Kings, that's Alex Len, it's Mo Harkless, um, it's it's Terrence Davis. Um, it, it's really not that big of a right. group of players, but it's but the elsewhere, other players. Yeah, yeah players on other teams. Thing. Yeah. Now, you know that possibilities exist. I always say it doesn't really get going until Christmas. Christmas yeah. Day kind of signifies that <clears throat> that 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 movable day or that that day where the NBA is now open for business. Okay, great. And you also have a bigger sample size. Like I, we've talked so much about the Kings and, and how much that they 
well, this is our core and these are our movable pieces and you have to disrupt the core. And that's why this past summer, when I was expecting a trade, mm-hmm. you know, I think I, it wasn't they tried to make trades. They tried. No, they did. They did. But to me, it was not so much the, you know, when you get the report of, well, Darren Fox is not, is not available or like, to, I always kind of kept telling people, I said, look, nobody is untradeable. Like you're at the, you're at the cap and you suck. <laughs> like you don't yeah, have $130 million payroll. You're at the again, luxury tax. And, and, you know, with all due respect to De'Aaron, you do this based off of potential. I'm not saying go out there and trade De'Aaron, but you traded a volatile player like DeMarcus Cousins, who was an all-star by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like anybody can be traded. Anybody should be on the table. Like I, I told you, James, I, I think I did this. I like you call it. I would call every single team. What do you like on my team? I yep. want to, I want to get it. I want to know what my marketability is for every player on my team. It doesn't mean I'm moving you. And I would go up to every single player on that team. And I'd say, Hey, guess what? I'm talking to every team about you. Why? Yeah. Why? Cause we suck. That's why. Because we're I, nine and job, 14. My job is to get this team better. And I'm going to do everything in my power to do so. And you know what? Those players would absolutely understand where I'm at. Some of them would be like, great. Can you move me to here? Can you move me here? Can you, yeah. I would hear from agents all the time push all that aside you have to do what's in the best interest for sacramento for the kings hopefully that happens i just don't feel like you have gotten to a point where you have to do a hard reset but certainly you need to explore changing the core and i didn't mean to rhyme by the way i'm not trying to be a poet i'm just saying you have He's to explore and, and he and knows not even know it <laughs> you have to explore changing your core and that to me is where this team is at right now I totally who knows who knows what wins and losses look at the end of the year. Again, I keep reminding people if your goal, all the playing tournament, all eight seed, whatever, like that's nice because this team hasn't been there in 15 years, but that sucks. Like if that's your goal, you're doomed. If, if you're, if your Nirvana is to make the play in tournament, you need to reassess your posture. You have to reassess the whole thing because your whole system is your whole thought process is severely flawed from a fan standpoint. I get it like that. You would love to see that. That's what you want to see, but can a fan base that's already seeing a dwindling attendance in a brand new building that they need to sell tickets in, can they stomach a hard reset? I don't think so. No, and, and I'll say it. this, Sean. Did you look at the attendance number for the Lakers game? Twelve thousand something. Twelve thousand five hundred. A little less yeah. than twelve thousand five hundred. And probably had, about four thousand Laker fans. Oh no, I'd say it's more like maybe 8, more. How's being? Yeah, how's being, yeah. How's being I think it's eight thousand. Like, I mean that that to me was the most seminal moment of the season when Lakers fans own, took ownership of the building. I mean that well, to me that if you're, it was sad. You know, it was it, that was like the end of a uh, of of like fandom in Sacramento, like a, a well, huge knock. We've seen it. We've seen it a lot, but I, 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 maybe it didn't stand out as much, but we've seen that a lot. We've seen that with warriors. I mean, the warriors I think have had probably have had more fans in this building than what we saw in that game. Yeah. But um, warriors fans, Lakers fans are different. Like I, I think they are. And you know, like oh, the, warriors... yeah, the Lakers fans can get to the obnoxious. Level. Look, first of all, all fans can get to the obnoxious level. Oh, of course. But of considering course. that that team had just got throttled in triple overtime and embarrassed with LeBron on the floor, they lose LeBron, they're down 18, and then they come back and win and have a second half that way. Obnoxious level was on was on peak. It was oh yeah, that was peak Lakers. Well, and if level. and if you don't want that to happen, then yeah, don't lay down on the court. And, and you know what? That's and, it. And I, I'm sorry. Good for them. Seriously, yeah. I applaud yeah. them. You came into Sacramento, 
You had that type of game. You showed out. Look, even with LeBron out, you could have said, ah, I'll sell my tickets. I'll sell them back. I'll, you know, whatever. You I think some people up, did. You supported your team. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, think, I think some people did. The building was empty. The but building they was absolutely, empty. Like, they absolutely should have been on peak obnoxious level. I would have, if I was a Giants fan, I was in, I was in, look, and I know Laker fans don't look at the Kings as a rivalry. I get it. But if I would, if this was Giants Dodgers and I was buying my ticket, I'd be, pretty peak obnoxious level uh in dodger stadium if something similar if, can you imagine that an eighth or ninth inning rally from like i don't know yeah what would be the equivalent 10 down no it wouldn't be 10 down but maybe seven down come back or and win without maybe my even player. like four or five i mean 18 yeah that's I, it was 14 in the third i mean yeah it's just embarrassing but the Either but way. the the pile on the 40 to eight <laughs> run i mean that's that's pretty incredible Oh yeah, I mean, you throttled somebody. You 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 hit them in the face so hard, and they just laid down. I mean, yeah. that's the problem. Like I, I, I'm never gonna figure that one out with this team. So okay, let's get to a couple of quick ones um, before we get to the business of oh. basketball. Um, Terrence Davis found his game. I think the silver lining to Harrison Barnes and Mo Harkless being out is that Terrence Davis is becoming more and more viable. I think he's a better defender than Buddy Heald, without any question. He's a stronger defender. I think he's a better playmaker and actually gives the Kings something interesting when they go to the the three-guard set to start the game with Terrence Davis as your three. Um, I, I think that that just to me, he's physical, he's strong. He goes hard to the rim. If he's hitting his shots, it makes the Kings a more dangerous team. So I think that that's a good thing. He still does things that don't make sense. And, you know, I think Mark Jones, I tweeted out, Mark Jones literally was like, Terrence Davis worked on his decision-making during the offseason, which I'm not even quite sure what that means. But, like, did he sit, did he read books? To, I'm like, <laughs> did he? He played like, Connect Four. Did he look Rondo. at, like, two boxes of cereal <laughs> and, like, read which box is better for you and choose the one with less sugar. I'm not sure what, how he worked on his decision-making, but just as he says that uh, Terrence Davis hoists up just an ill-advised, <laughs> ridiculously bad three-pointer, like in the mid sentence. And I, so I tweeted it out, you know, narrator, as Jones spoke these words, Jones hoist an ill-advised three-point or Davis uh, host an ill-advised three-pointer. Uh, but, uh, he he has another element, Sean, that I think that the Kings need. I, I mean, would you agree? I would agree. I'd also caution it was one game, but yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, he's been just awful. I mean, fair is that fair? Like he to me, you went out and signed this guy, and he's a young player. You went out and signed this guy for a two-year deal. It's a fresh start. He was part of that. Like, I'm going to double down on this because of the way you finished last year, mm -hmm. like you were, you came in and recognized, Hey, no one shoots on this team. I'm going to do it. <laughs> like I've got a green light. I'm going to do it. I have a bigger, I have a, just as bright of a green light as, as buddy healed does. And I'm going to take advantage. Terrence, Terrence Davis will put up 14 shots. You don't have to tell him, you don't have to go up to him and hey, Terrence shoot the ball. You yep. almost have to be like, Hey Terrence, maybe you don't have it tonight. <laughs> right. Well, no, when he doesn't have it, you need to put you him put, on the bench. bench him. Yeah. That's yeah it. Because he's a dude who gets to Oh, for eight really really quick very fast and when It'll he's be over like midway. You know, yeah <laughs> he's not like buddy where you're like oh let's ride this out which uh, again I, you're not I think there. that's you're done, done with that. yeah i think yeah. riding it out is over 
Like I <laughs> like the live by the buddy, die by the buddy, just take an eraser and start, you know, wiping that statement off. But like you just can't yeah. keep doing it. So uh, so Terrence Davis, but I do like some of the other things that Terrence Davis does. And he's got like his teammates say the energy. Well, he brings a good point energy. That out. What else do you like that he does? I know he's got energy. He runs the floor well. I've you know, he does uh he he's, he's a, a little bit turnover. He's a little bit more, yeah. He's a little bit like uh, Ben McLemore with like the Winter Wadbur defense. He flies by one way and then flies by the other, and you're like, man, can you just try to stay in front of somebody instead yeah. of overplaying everything? But I also think when he settles down and gets into the rhythm of a game, he's actually pretty solid. I think he creates for other people. I think he does make some mistakes for sure, and you got to wipe out some of the the uh, the turnover issues. But I mean, this team has turnover issues all the time. And right. Terrence Davis, you know, if he turns the ball over once or twice a game, I'm not going to freak out um, when I see other players that turn it. Well, I mean, Fox had seven turnovers the other night. Halliburton's <laughs> had a few moments and then they come back and Halliburton was 11 assists, zero turnovers. And Fox was, I think, five assists, one turnover against the Clippers on the second. I, think, of a back-to-back. I think poor shot selection should be counted as a turnover. Like I, I literally think there should be like a, the equivalent of a boxing or an MMA judge that sits there courtside. And if they hate your shot selection add turnover, yeah, <laughs> add that as a turnover. Cause there's just been, you know, and it's not exclusive to just the Kings. Like I was using that example as with Russell Westbrook in that opening game, opening yeah. quarter for that Laker game. I mean, he was just so bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, Terrence has just, I mean, kudos, man. He's unconscious when it comes to, to what he thinks of himself on the offensive end. And I want to see him get going offensively, but you're right, man. If he doesn't have it, it's, it's, there's not much more he offers except for the fact that he can run the floor. He does like to get in the paint because he's looking to catch a body all the time. All the time. And, and he's physical. It. Okay. So uh, the other thing, I think the, uh, with Buddy Hill taking less shots and De'Aaron Fox taking less shots and Halliburton taking less shots, which I don't understand because Harrison Barnes is out who was taking less shots. Um, <laughs> and the goal is for everyone to get more shots. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden we're seeing guys who are scores, not score at all. Um, even Halliburton, you know, before last night's game, seven of the previous 10 games, he sold, scored in single digits. Um, but the last two games, Davion Mitchell, he's just ready. Like the first against the Lakers, he was three of 14. First of all, he, I think he had four more shot attempts than any other Kings player, which is just shameful. Uh, the fact that your rookie is out there um, and showing that he doesn't care. And I think he was really good in the first half. I think he had eight points in the first half. And then in the second half, he couldn't hit anything, but he kept shooting. Um, but the next game, he was lights out and hitting everything. And what I like about, about Davion is he seems to be the only Kings player who listens and says, Oh, look, I'm supposed to stand here at the three point line with my hands ready, my feet set and ready to launch a three point shot. Everyone else is like, they catch it and they play with their food. I mean, I Mm -hmm. hear Mark Jones say it all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's something I say too. like, like, what are you doing? Why are you playing with your food? Now there are times where Davion over dribbles and gets himself in trouble. And then hands the ball to his teammate in a bad spot with four seconds on the shot clock. He's done that. But when he over the last couple of games, I think he's learning. Like I have to be ready to catch and shoot, and that's big. And it's it shows development and growth, and that's what the Kings need from him. Oh yeah, that'll go a long way. And I think to the point there too, James, is the fact that 
Davion is very literal with what he says. He doesn't really like kind of church anything up. Like he no. looks at it and says, you ask him like, okay, what got you going offensively? I'm giving what the, he goes, I took what the defense gave me. And that's cliche, but it was like literally true. Like I went back last night after he said that I started looking at possessions. They're not guarding him the same way. And I think it was because, you know, he came out and had that big 20 point game against the Suns. Mm, maybe his first I think it was the first 20 point game because this was the second one and after he had that 20 point game he was he kind of came out of the lineup again if you remember like there was like his rotationally he didn't have the minutes he had in those first few the five and five start he ran into a little bit of struggles um but defenses kind of are leaving him open again like they're mm-hmm. not they're hedging on him a little bit more that you know they I don't think they respect the shot especially because the book is out on him you get scouting reports like this guy's going to dribble a hole into the court. <laughs> so. did, did you, did you also see he was um, on the list of the five worst shooters in the NBA? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, so it's like along with Fox, but yeah, once you get that list of guy, like once you get that, like scouting reports, teams start doing it differently. So I think it's true. Like they're not guarding him the way they did maybe a month ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's some truth to that, but also like that's, that's all great. And I think it'll help get his offensive confidence going, but I also think like, Hey, if, if you don't have the guys you're supposed to be counting on through 23 games to be a factor in the, in the offensive category, like go for it, like take advantage of it, do what Terrence Davis did last year and take advantage of opportunity when you get it. Like don't take what the defense gives you, like dictate what the defense has to do to you. Mm -hmm. And so when he can do that, and I'm not saying like, I, I still don't think this guy's, I think he's going to be a better scorer than people think, but I'm not thinking he's going to be some 20 point score or anything. Like don't, don't get me wrong, but I do feel like he can be impactful in that category um, because I do think he's more of a scoring guard than people think. Yeah. I think he's a really, really nice off ball player. And the second that you try to create with him, you get in trouble. And I think specifically in the Lakers game, they kept calling the number for Davion and Chemezi on one side to have some two man game that just wasn't working. And Fox was standing over in the corner on the other side or at the elbow on the other side. And people are like, why isn't Fox taking control? Well, the play sets were looked to me like they were called specifically for that group to get some shots, to try to have them come in and get something going from a different angle. It didn't look like Fox was just acquiescing. He was waiting he was doing what he was supposed to do in the offensive set. Mm-hmm. And so I know a lot of people were upset about Fox, not just taking over. There needs to come a point where Fox goes, Hey, look, I'm going to call my number like 12 straight times. And right. you guys be ready because I might hit you with a pass, but I'm going 12 straight times. And you're, you're going to be the beneficiary of it. If it breaks down or if I can't get to the rim. Um, but at the same time, you know, in that game specifically, Fox had seven turnovers and I think he was kind of, in his own head a little bit about every time he was aggressive, he turned the ball over. And so that was a problem. And, you know, this team has a problem with live ball turnovers. I mean, buddy healed had that live ball turnover where he, he got the rebound and then just threw it to the other team. <laughs> yeah. I mean like professional live ball turnover. Like, I, I don't even know how else to like, just, you threw it to he the has wrong a doctorate in live ball. Turnover. He, he just threw it to the, <laughs> the wrong team, bro. So, you know? How about the turnover, just because of the funniest ones I saw this week? And, and fortunately, it was in the Laker game, but it was, in the, it was in the half when the Kings were good. It was in the opening period where, like, 
De'Aaron passes it to, <laughs> to, to, to Tyrese Halliburton, who tried to catch it with one hand, and it just trickles out of bounds. Like the most lazy pass ever. Like if I literally underhanded you a tennis ball and you just dropped it out of bounds. Like I looked at that and I was just, I literally was going to use that as like a, see, this is what this team is doing. But it was so unfair because they had like a, they were building up to an 18 point lead at that point. I actually, I, I think that Halliburton looked away and the ball just <laughs> yeah. happened. It was, it was a good pass and it just happened to it touch his hand. hand. Yeah. It hit his <laughs> hand, but he didn't know it was coming. So I think he had t- uh, tossed the ball to Fox at the top and then Fox looked up and then I think he went to pass it back to let Halliburton run a play on the right side and Halliburton wasn't paying attention and the ball just hit his hand and then he looks over like, I can't believe that just happened. All right, Sean, let's get to it. Yeah. The business of basketball. What's going there on? Man? All right. So <laughs> Sean, uh, bad things are happening in professional sports. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball has pulled the plug. They're they're doing a lockout. We've lived through a lockout. Uh, it's brutal. I don't. I I hate it. I I think it does so much damage to the game, whether it's basketball or the NFL or Major League Baseball um, or hockey. I mean, what hockey did mm-hmm. to their yeah, just absolutely crushed any momentum that they had. And baseball is is a sport that's that's hanging on by a thread by. In a lot of people's minds, I don't think it nearly has the cachet that it once did. I think the NBA has moved ahead of it. The NFL certainly is the king at this point when it comes to professional sports in America. Um, but Sean, just your quick thoughts on that. And then let's dive into sort of our experiences during the lockout. Yeah. I mean, the sad part is like, we saw this coming. Um, it's incre- like you mentioned, James, it's incredibly necessary for baseball to do this and I'll bring it around to basketball here in a second but when you think about all the litany of things that they have to address it's the evolution of their game it's what free agency looks like what rosters look like it's not just revenue sharing like you usually see in other work stoppages and I think the one of the crazy you have to look at how their playoff structure is going to be you have to look at literally how replay is going to be like so many things oh my god there's so many things they have to go over and it's necessary like this that's the crazy part. Like it's a super necessary work stoppage. It just sucks because this is the ninth one we've experienced in baseball. It's always baseball. The glimmer of hope is you're 60 days from training camp from spring training, opening up pitchers and catchers. But like James Thursday, nine o'clock before the both sides are meeting, they met for seven minutes, man. Wow. (laughs) And you're seeing all this activity getting done before the deadline happens. Whereas like the past two years, you're, you don't see anything happening during winter meetings. You're seeing everything happening in January, you know, leading up to sometimes, sometimes not even happening until end of the season, May and June. Like, it's just crazy. And when you think about basketball, like predominantly it's been, our structure is good. We have a, like they have competitive committees that can sit there and break down what our game looks like. What does basketball in the NBA, what does it look like? And it's, there's updates to it all the time. You can't do that in baseball. You can try little gimmicks here and there, but ultimately when you're voting on what your game looks like, the players have to be so much involved. Your competition committee really looks like what your owners want the NBA to look like. Mm -hmm. So that's when it just comes down to the almighty dollar. What What does your season look like? What does financial revenue sharing look like? And with baseball, I don't see an end in sight. Like, I honestly think, like, this season's going to be in jeopardy, and that's going to be really bad. 
But in basketball, their last work stoppage was 2011, and it lasted almost six months. I mean, it was just under six months. Mm-hmm. And it was not a good time. It was ugly. They they were able to get a season in, um, but a lot of good came of it. Like, you still have guaranteed contracts in the NBA. Yeah. You know, you still have – I mean, you got into you, – you still had – clauses that were able to protect the season like you did when you were able to stop the season during COVID and restart it in Orlando and in the bubble. Um, You You also have revenue sharing that, that helps out a team like the Sacramento Kings. You, you, there are a lot of mechanisms that were put in place to balance the competitive fairness of the NBA. And And you have this major league baseball is a huge problem. Absolutely. But also the NBA, it's a, when you think of something called the players league, what do you think of? You think of the NBA. Yeah. Right. Like the players association is the strongest association in professional sports for the NBA. The NBA has the strongest players association in professional sports bar none. So I think they are what other leagues strive to be. Uh, Even the NFL. I mean, the NFL, like you said, James is King, but they don't have guaranteed money. Nope. I mean, there's some guaranteed money, but there are a lot of dudes who play without guaranteed money. There are a lot of people that come in for like, $3,200 for two weeks and then, you know, they could get injured and they never be able to play again. And that's it. Yeah. And, and baseball, their structure of the minor leagues is, is not good. It's a joke. Like those guys get paid nothing. Um, And the way that you're under team control forever is horrible. Six years of team control. Right. It's just crazy. If you're a college senior and you come out at 22, you could be hiding in the minor leagues for a team until you're 28 years old. And then when you make it up to the bigs, then they still control your future. They still have, you know, ways to like control everything that's happening with your career. It's, it's really, it's bizarre. Like, I, I don't know how it works out. Um, but Sean, you know, when it comes to the NBA, we, we did live through, it was, it felt like a long one, but it was, oh, it did. yeah, it was after my first season. And uh, the way that it worked out was right after they held the draft, the Kings drafted Jimmer, uh, it went into a lockout, but the biggest problem that Sacramento had was it, it was right in the midst of their attempted relocation to Anaheim. So there was like all of these moving parts. They told the Maloofs, Hey, you got to give it another year. But in this, in the same time, there was no basketball, there was no revenue coming in. And, you know, the one thing that I did, like we, we were talking before, like, you know, it was, it was crazy. You, you basically were just praying that basketball would come back. So then that way we could get back to work. But like I went and hung out with uh, Jimmer and his family at the celebrity golf tournament in Tahoe. Yeah. And, you know, that was cool. Like it it was it was a moment where I got to meet Jimmer and his family, uh, his soon to be wife and his parents and his agent. And I just hung out with him. I think it was for two days. I just walked from one hole to the next, Mm -hmm. just chatting with the family. Um, He was mobbed, by the way. Oh yeah. That? Like yeah, he was Jimmer. Jimmer. Can we be your sister wife sign? <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> he was a huge draw. And if you remember James, the crazy, and that, you know, that tournament has a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for yeah. that tournament. But if you remember what really happened though, you have Jimmer, who's this absolute craze for bat in basketball coming out of college basketball. And who'd they pair him with? Tebow. Tebow mania at the yeah. height of Tebow mania. And just, you know, basically the Jimmer factor in college football now in the, in the NFL. And it's like, they paired these two guys together and 
I hadn't seen crowds like that since Jordan. I think Jordan was like probably even had less. They would usually put like Jordan with Jerry Rice or Barkley or, you know, whoever, and you get big crowds out there. Yeah. That was insane. It was crazy. <laughs> Again, the, there were uh, girls wearing bikinis on the beach on what is that? The 17th hole yeah. holding up signs said, Gemma, will you be, uh, w- can we be your sister wives? Um, there was also <laughs> someone had a basketball and uh, a guy stood way out, probably 40, 50 feet out into the water and made like a, a hoop. Uh, with his arms and Jimmer fired from the green and nothing but net drained it. And then there was, they pulled out a football and they had Tebow throw a pass. He completely missed a guy running down the beach. They gave it to Jimmer. <laughs> he hit a guy in stride on like a 50 yard bomb. And people forget that the Jimmer was incredible at football as a high school player. Right. I, he had like 1,350 yards or something as a wide receiver uh, and he actually had like he was pit or someone like wanted him to play wide receiver. And he instead, of course, stuck with basketball. Uh, but yeah, during the lockout, the lockout was weird. And then I transitioned and uh, the great John Santiago, uh, he took over a bunch of cowbell for a long period while I uh, did small market, big heart. We had six months and where we knew there wasn't going to be anything. And Sean, this is something that I bring this up because I know a lot of people are upset that they went to like MLB.com and they've pulled all the players faces, right? Yeah. It looks petty and I get it, but you're not allowed during a lockout to make any money off a player's likeness. And that includes putting their picture up on your website. So with the NBA, this is how that worked for me. I was in the midst of building a documentary about the Sacramento Kings relocation. And the, the Kings at the time we had gone to them and said, Hey, you know, there's a bunch of footage we would like. And they said, make us a list. And it was Troy Amazine. He was incredible. He made this Craig, Craig Amazine, uh, Craig. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, two names, two different guys mixed yep. in my head. Uh, Craig Amazine. Um, he, he put it all on a hard drive and he had it sitting there and he said, look, I've got it. Everything that you asked for on a disc. And I'm talking, Luke and Bill in the rafters, um, you know, the floor, the, the stuff dripping on the floor, uh, Chris Weber's injury. Um, like there were so many, uh, footage of these, we got footage from Fox 40 from some of this stuff, but we had this huge void and we couldn't do anything with any footage that involved players. The mm-hmm. league owns the rights to, and they would not give us any of the footage because, it had uh, it had player likeness. It had players, and so what happened was we had set a release date for mid January for the film, and the lockout breaks in late December, and they call us up and they say, "Hey, you can we're going to give you all the footage." And I'm like, "What do you mean you're going to give it? Like, don't do anything stupid with the footage. Don't you know we're going to have to see it once you know how much you use, and you need to you know give us a list of." how many seconds you use it here, here, and here, and all that stuff. But we're not going to charge you for it because, you know, we're coming out of a lockout. It was literally two weeks before our movie was to be released. And Tobin, uh, our director, went back in and put all of the B-roll in at the very, with two weeks to spare, uh, well, two weeks before we actually were debuting, 
he had to run all of it through, get clearance for all of it. But the other thing that happened was before we were still going to premiere the movie before we could premiere it, we had to show it and make sure that we didn't have any player likenesses because the league, again, they would sue us for, for having player likenesses. So we interviewed, this is crazy. We interviewed Jerry Reynolds in his office at the Kings headquarters and in the backdrop behind him is a picture of, it was the poster that they sent out for like the 2002 to, I, I think it's 0102 or the 0203 poster where they have small drawings of the players faces all around. And it's really cool looking. And yeah. I'm not sure who did it, who, who did the, the actual uh, poster, but right by Jerry's head, and you can still go back and see this in the film, is Mike Bibby's face. And everyone else on the poster had officially retired from the league. But Mike Bibby's face, we have to blur out because it's a player, a current player likeness. And we had to blur it out in order to get Clarence to use that, even the footage of Jerry Reynolds uh, for, the, for the movie. So it, it is crazy. And there's like a lot of crazy, it, like it's wild, the hoops that you're going to have to jump through and stuff, but we're going to see a complete, I think that's the most painful thing. There won't be any baseball highlights. There's nothing that they can use from anything with, with a player that is current. They can't what's, use it at all. What's wild is there should be a separation between what, look, you have team journalism, you know, on every single site, you have a network MLB network, your archive of player features were written about and took place before you, you locked out on December 1st. So therefore you, you should be able to still have those stories up there. And to that point, like, look at, you can still go to MLB.com right now. I'm on it, right? I'm on, I'm on SFGiants.com right now. And I'm looking at a Brandon Crawford Jersey that I could buy for 134 99. Buster Posey retired. He's still up there. Brandon Crawford's still a player. Is that, hold. are you sure you can actually buy it? Are you sure? And are you sure that's not a third party? Because uh, I'm if on MLBshop.com. Oh, well, then they should have issues. Uh, you this know, is the one that's linked issues. through. Yeah, this is the one that's linked through the Giants website. And it's like, you know, here's players. I can click Mike Yastrzemski. Here's Joey Bart. I, you know, all these different things. There's a Mike Yastrzemski jersey for $199.99. Oh, that's an, that's an autographed one too, by the way. Uh, you know, so it's I'm, just. While we're talking, LeBron just got cleared. He's already had two negative COVID tests, two negative and, tests. Yeah. He's yeah. back. He's back. Um, uh, so anyway, but, yeah. But to yeah, that like, point though, like wild. you were talking, you were talking about how that happened during the time where relocation was going on. Oh yeah. What's happening with your Oakland days. Like, oh, yeah. will they, yeah, like this is, it, it, there's so many similarities right now. I mean, you look at just the story today about the, 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 the land they just purchased down in uh, the agreement for land that they just purchased down in Vegas. Like this, this could be catastrophic for A's fans and, and, and hoping to keep that team in Oakland. Um, Cause they could use this cloak of look over here while we do this. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, it, it's going to be interesting, man. I, I, I think baseball's in serious, serious jeopardy. It is a necessary thing that needs to happen. I know people will cringe at that, but they have a lot of issues that they have to hash out. I'm just hopeful they get, a, they get it in there, but you know, that 2011 lockout was not fun. It got nasty. And I think, Fortunately for the what I remember about it being here in Sacramento is that the Kings didn't really have a 
Harrison Barnes, like they do now, who's a member of the executive committee and mm -hmm. part of the players association who, you know, he, he has a lot of sway there. All you have is your own, is your lone player representative. That team was so young that I don't think they quite got it. I, I remember hearing, hearing stories of guys showing up thinking that they could use the facility and they couldn't. Oh yeah. You, you couldn't use the facility. So like I would go and do stories with guys over at Sac state over guys trying at high schools, trying to just stay loose. You know, some of them were still in town. Most of them got out of town to, to a certain place, spent the summer out of town. Um, but then we had cool moments that were, that came out of it, like the goon squad classic and just, you know, oh, yeah. the, the way, the way, the way players found clever ways to still engage with fans. And, uh, I mean, I think people know that owners hold all the cards, right? Mm -hmm. The only one that ends up really hurting themselves are the players at the end of the day. And you didn't want to get to a point where you were going to see replacement players or scabs as they're called in baseball when someone crosses a picket line. Um, but yeah, man, it, it, it gets pretty wild. And to see that goon squad classic and it's like, first of all, there's this awful picture of me interviewing John wall who came in and it might be the worst picture of me in the history of the world. But uh, that's, that's probably the thing that stands out first and foremost, but it reminded me because somebody had an anniversary on Facebook and there's a picture of you, me, Ryan Yamamoto and I think Carmichael Dave all standing there. We're kind of taking this in and it happened in UC Davis and we're just sitting there going, is that the goon? I didn't know that was a goon squad. That was classic the goon squad classic. Yeah. Yeah. Dante green, put it on. He did Dante <laughs> him green. and Jason Thompson, man. Yeah, it was great. And that was at a time where, you know, DeMarcus was like, I'm going to bring in John wall and John wall shows up. And there were some guys who were going to be, that was J first time Kings fans got to see Jimmer really in a basketball and he, setting. And he danced. And he, he did dance. And, and and if you remember, they had had the draft and we, they, you know, he got to do the several stops in Sacramento after the draft. And we were tagging along with him at Arden mall. They had a big reception for him. Like that was great. Um, but that was, then it dried up really quickly because there could be no, uh, there could be no action. And to your point about players likeness, you having to blur out faces, I got hit up on Twitter and it reminded me that, you know, Bob Gerald had used to work with Kings radio at the time and having to do, literally a year round segment on, you know, Kings radio about the team and not being able to talk about current players. That's really difficult to do. So yeah, that's not good. I, hey, I, I went back to the old days. <laughs> I think twice I went to California family fitness and Paul Westfall literally did basketball one Oh one teaching fans about play sets, teaching fans about like, he had a big whiteboard. He did all of this work and it was all season ticket holders. It was usually like 50, 40, 50 people all sitting in chairs. All of them had little notepads and they're taking notes. It came with like a, a pamphlet of, of information that you could take notes on and what you're, you know, going through every single, he literally was doing basketball 101 during the lockout mm -hmm. uh, after he spent the whole end of that season as the lone representative that had the cojones enough to stand up and talk about relocation, they left him right. hanging in the wind. And then what he, he made it eight games into the season. They fired him after all the work he'd done in the off season and all the work he'd done as, uh, as like their ambassador for uh, relocation. And, you know, again, that was my first head coach. So much love for Paul Westfall and, you know, the late great Paul Westfall. Uh, yeah, just, just a good man that, you know, way, way too young to have to go through what he went through. And, um, so anyway, Sean, the, the lockout, uh, 
you know, it, that was a moment in time that, you know, I think a lot of us, like, what are we going to do if there is no more basketball? What are we going to, you know? And, and it also came up with like the, how you, uh, meme and like, like all the, all the little <laughs> weird stuff on Twitter. I forgot about that. Some people well, got and, famous and, during that time on Twitter. I, I think and, it really, it was weird. And Twitter was at a peak back then, especially for Sacramento. When you think about it, cause the relocation saga, like played out on Twitter for a lot of Kings fans and media. Yeah. And, and like, it was like a go-to thing and to see Twitter still relevant, a social media platform still relevant. So many years later is incredible, but you know, think about 2011, like you're coming out of the recession. So I think people looked at the NBA and it's like, what is the NBA doing? Like, this is the worst possible oh, time yeah. for, for something. To, and, and they didn't learn from hockey who had just gone through it, I think two years prior. And it was the worst time to do it. So there's never a great time, but at least like, like all you, you, you got, like the economy's doing better. Yeah. Um, you don't have a recession like at the moment, but you do, you are dealing with a global pandemic. So it is a, it is a bit different. There's never a good time, but uh, can you imagine if this had happened in, in 2020? No, that's not good. It's <laughs> not yeah. good. All right, Sean. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings beat. Um, we haven't really got into where uh, Sean and I are going to publish this. It'll go up. And for those who are paid subscribers to the P the Kings beat, they're going to meet us later on this evening for the first Kings beat happy hour, which is awesome. You're going to get to ask questions and hang out with Sean and I. Um, Yuletide cheer, maybe some yeah, Yuletide cheer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make an old fashioned or two for myself. Uh, what is Yuletide? I know I've got Google in front of me, but what is let me see, what is Yuletide? I don't know what that is. I think Yule, like the Yule log. Yule log. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm not up up to speed on my my Christmas uh, terms. It's just an um, archaic term from Christmas for Christmas. According there to it is the Oxford dictionary. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's going to be a good time. So next time this comes around, hopefully you will be a paid subscriber if you're not already and you will get to participate in the King's beat happy hours, which uh, I think is going to become a regular thing where we give you an inside look inside access into uh, two reporters with a lot of experience and, crazy stories to share so and a hearty appetite for drinking and it's very <laughs> very hearty yes yes um and, and like you'll get to see my bar I'll, I'll turn the camera around and that he made we'll drop himself the, i whittled out of clay yeah. um yeah yeah but my whole entire bar area is 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 pretty cool you guys get to see the corner of it uh when i'm on d low and casey on espn 1320 but the rest of it is uh, is pretty sweet. I, I still have to do some cleaning and get ready for the festivities tonight. But uh, yeah. All right. So again, Sean, thanks for joining me. Uh, yep. That's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>